When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The parties are divided in terms of the effect that the stimulus is going to have. This inflation debate has really been heating up the effect of what the Biden administration is spending on political capital. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. A group of centrists are the key senators to watch. Joe Biden, his number one focus in addition to the COVID health crisis is jobs. I don't think we have red roads and blue roads, and that's the way we're looking at this. Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden takes the stimulus plan to the states. Meanwhile, infrastructure is next on the docket. We check in with Congressman Brendan Boyle, Democrat from suburban Philadelphia. He wants to raise taxes on the ultra-wealthy in addition to spending some more on infrastructure. We will ask him all about it. Plus, Morgan Ortegas joins us for the final half hour. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I'm accompanied uh, by Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Uh, We begin tonight with the big story, which, of course, is President Joe Biden, who delivered remarks on the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, which was passed and signed into law this week. In a White House Rose Garden ceremony earlier this afternoon, President Biden repeated the new mantra of his party on the plan. Here's the sound on that. I promise the American people, and I guess it's becoming an overused phrase, that help was on the way. But today, with the American Rescue Plan now signed into law, we've delivered on that promise. And I don't mean I've delivered, we've delivered. He went on to say that many who complained that the $1.9 trillion price tag was too expensive, but uh, President Biden uh, said that it did have bipartisan support. Here's the sound on that. Over 430 mayors contacted me, many of them Republicans supporting the bill. And here's why. Because what you all did with it and the refinements you made, it directly addressed the emergency in this country. Congressman Brendan Boyle is on the phone with us. He's a Democrat from uh, Philly, suburban Philly area. And President Biden said it to Delco, my hometown, next Tuesday. Uh, but, Congressman, I, I would take it you're going to be there. Well, Congress is supposed hey, good to talk to you, Kevin. And of Congress is supposed to be in session on Tuesday. So I would like to be there, but if we have uh, votes on the floor, then unfortunately I think I'll be kept working in D.C. You know, that that little thing called votes. All right, but with this plan, a lot of folks say it's too much money, and i got to be candid here, no Republicans in the House or the Senate supported it. So, I mean, it was a a partisan bill. 
No, I disagree. I mean, look, it's bipartisan in terms of its support from the American people. Over three-quarters of the American people favor it, including 60% of Republicans. But, you know, the fact that no Republican would vote for something that, frankly, had similarities to what they voted for just a year ago under the CARES Act, I think speaks more to their partisanship than, than the bill itself. I'd also point out this isn't that new. I mean, there wasn't one Republican vote for Bill Clinton's economic plan in 1993 or Barack Obama's stimulus plan in 2009. So we shouldn't really be surprised about the way that vote turned out on the Republican side. Can I ask you a question about our area where I grew up in particular? I mean, uh, it, I was struck that there's no money for retraining in this bill. And I, I think it's frustrated both Republicans and Democrats because that might be an area where there is some bipartisanship yeah. to retrain people, especially in, in our area who have been laid off uh, because of uh, refinery shutting down. And I, I guess how do you – and I think unfortunately we in the media, when we say the word retraining, we think of people in their early 20s or their late teens. And, and you and I know – you know this, Congressman. Uh, this means people in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s. And how do you how do you retrain folks? I mean, do, do we need to do that? Yeah, I agree with you. But, you know, I wouldn't lose hope. I do think that you're going to see money for retraining in the infrastructure bill. You do. Where it would actually make. Yeah. And it's actually where it would make a little bit more sense. I'd also point out that the whole idea of retraining sometimes happens under a program. A lot of people don't probably don't know about called TAA. It's the trade adjustment assistance. And so. In northeast Philly, which is pretty similar to Delco, northeast Philly, we recently lost our big Nabisco plant, over 300 yep. workers there, family-sustaining jobs. could smell the chocolate chip cookies being made from miles away. Unfortunately, are making me hungry Monday, on a Friday. <laughs> well, unfortunately, you'll have to go to Monterey, Mexico, to, uh, to see the plant nowadays. And Mundelez, to their disgrace, um, laid off all those people in, in my district. They were able to qualify for retraining dollars uh, through the TAA, but that's because they were impacted by trade policy. I would like to see something like that 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 is basically expanded so that way you don't have to have just lost your job because of trade uh, and you can get the sort of uh, retraining uh, that you need. At the same time, though, I got to say, and I remember when my dad lost, my dad worked in a warehouse for over 25 years and then he was in his early 50s, high school education. And suddenly the warehouse closed down. It can be really scary to say to workers, especially guys in their 50s, that we're going to attempt to retrain you for something different. That That's tougher than just dollars and cents. Congressman, this is Rick Davis. I, I give you credit for being one of the only politicians I've ever heard of who actually campaigned against an Oreo. And I don't know how that spells politics, <laughs> but like, good luck to you on that one. Um, Listen, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the uh, the um, uh, American Build Back Award. Uh, uh, it is a huge spending of federal dollars without increase in revenue, right? And so the old days, we used to have yeah. rules where you had to have offsetting. And, and we're going right into the Fed budget right here to, to pay for $2 trillion worth of stuff. Uh, and, and without arguing what is important in that bill, are we entering a period where we don't care about deficits anymore? And if if we don't... Why bother trying to raise revenue? Well, first, I, if you'll give me a minute, I have to brag. I have not had an Oreo 
since that scummy company closed their factory in my district and those jobs <laughs> Okay, away. Kevin, that's it. We're so, banning Oreos on this show. Oh, I, you know, first of all, I, 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 the last thing I need I is to get in rush. trouble today. Trust me. But I will tell you this. <laughs> I am a huge fan of all junk food, but go ahead. I, I generally am right there with you, Kevin, but I am proud Mega to Mega stuffed is my preference. Right, I dip it in peanut butter. Right, uh, right there. But, um, you, know, you know, it's really funny. I mean, for those of us who experienced politics in the early 90s um, with Ross Perot and the charts about debt and deficit. A lot of that 1994 Republican wave was actually about addressing the, the deficit. And then having experienced the Tea Party wave, it, it is pretty jarring to be in, in this existence in which deficit and debt has just completely dropped the radar off the radar in terms of people's concern. Now, I will tell you, ideologically, I I agree with going big. I, I do think this is a moment in which we have to do it. We have to bite the bullet. But I also do recognize there are certain laws of gravity and that at some point we are going to have to turn to res- revenue and, and look to raise revenue. I have a couple ideas on how we can do that. Um, but I don't think that the sort of training wheels being off and just being able to spend um, indefinitely without addressing revenue is, is going to be uh, something that's sustainable. Well, one of the ideas that you have, I, I interviewed Senator Elizabeth Warren just the other week. They all blend together. It might have been, no, it was last week, end of last week, and to raise taxes uh, on ultra-millionaires and, and billionaires. And yeah, I think it was like two cents or three cents uh, was the threshold, yeah. but that that would be able to fund infrastructure i, I mean I, I was struck just i you know i think it's geographic bias but understanding the politics of our area i, I was struck to see to see your name on the co-sponsor list how did you arrive yep. at that conclusion that that was the the best decision for 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 you to co-sponsor yeah well first i mean i just a little pet peeve i have is i know that in in the media we tend to all and i do i'm even guilty of it myself we tend to put people into neat little boxes where oh that's the person's a progressive that person's a conservative that person's a moderate i agree with you like that real life isn't like that i mean you can have some views yeah that generally when you add them up you have some sort of an orientation but on any given issue you know you, you can you don't necessarily conform to that and i know people who aren't political in my own life who might be conservative on some things, but very liberal on others. And so the wealth tax is actually a great example of that, because when you look at the polling, it is remarkably popular. A plurality of registered Republicans mm-hmm. agree with the idea of having a two-cent tax on those worth $50 million or more, and it goes up a little bit more once you're at the $1 billion point. It raises a boatload of money. I mean, no surprise, it turns out you're going to raise a lot of money if you tax the people who have the most money, um, it would raise $3 trillion. But I also think in terms of the fairness argument, so much of the gains have been disproportionately skewed in the last 20 years. Twenty years, Forget the top 1%. We're talking about the top one-half of one-tenth of 1%, a very small fraction of individuals who have done so well over the last 25 years. I do think this is warranted. Representative Boyle, it's Jeannie Shanzano. It's great to talk to you. I wanted to just take you to the southern border and ask you, some of your colleagues are visiting both on the Republican and Democratic side. Where do we go on immigration at this point? And are Democrats going to be able to get a bill through this year? Well, I think the first, like so many issues, the the first question you have to ask is, are we assuming that the 60-vote threshold is staying in the Senate? Because 
if you are, then obviously that limits the sort of choices uh, available. Then we're looking at, for example, in the House, we're going to be moving on DACA and the DREAM Act next week. Those are two very popular positions that, uh, that have – or two popular pieces of legislation that have bipartisan support. They're probably more um, uh, narrowly tailored than immigration advocates uh, would like. But we know or we're confident that those two can get through a 60-vote threshold in the Senate. I think that comprehensive immigration reform, even though I'm, I'm for it, it's hard to see how you would get 60 votes over there to do something as big and bold as that. Congressman Brendan Boyle, always appreciate your time. Uh, just uh, really appreciate that uh, candid conversation. And I, I think candidly for the Bloomberg audience to hear uh, directly how trade and, and global trade uh, – is impacting re, uh, parts of our country. Uh, Congressman Brendan Boyle, Democrat from Pennsylvania. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Much more coming up next. This is Bloomberg. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by the Bloomberg Politics con- contributing team, Rick Davis and Jeannie Sean Zeno. I mean, not to go rogue for a second, but uh, Rick, I-, I was really struck to hear uh uh, Congressman Boyle speak about his support for taxing billionaires and taxing, you know, rich people. Uh, just a couple more cents. I mean, he he is, uh, you know, he he kind of rightfully said how we all in the media try to, you know, put people in boxes. But he, it, as I'm going to put him in a box, <laughs> I mean, is seen as more of a, a center left dem. Um, and so his support, I think, if you're looking at the direction that the party set it in. Uh, it it was really striking to to hear him you know talk about uh, his support for it and and I think it captured the the mood of the moment. Yeah, Kevin, I think your question was just perfect. I mean, right after saying, "Sure, yeah, we can raise tons of debt to finance the things we mm-hmm. we need," you point out that he's pursuing this uh, tax on the rich, and exactly right out of the Elizabeth Warren game plan, and he's like, "Yeah, full throated endorsement. We, we not, may not even need the money, but let's go after those guys anyway." And so uh, I I was surprised because you're right, he is a center you know, left, not a lefty Democrat. And yeah. uh, if guys like him start towing that line, they really will position the Democratic Party left to center. And, and, and you know, Philadelphia suburbs, you know, they, they, they're not always going to go Democratic. Well, and, you know, I go back and, and Rick and Jeannie, you know, we were joking about this for the Warren interview, but Senator McCain did support Glass-Steagall with Senator Elizabeth Warren. So, you know, there's that there is that streak, I think. In what, both what's parties. your point, Kevin? What is your point? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? I, but, I, but I think it's I do think I I mean, I'm not I really am not in the business of predicting, but I, I do think that a Republican will come out to support this. I really me, do. Can I just jump in, though, and say that I do give a Representative Boyle and Elizabeth Warren credit because unlike some people, they are not talking about spending without paying for it. They actually are putting forward a plan, whether you think it's a good plan or not for paying yeah. for it. And I, I do think that's important to say because my frustration has been all the talk of $3 trillion for infrastructure, but to Rick's earlier point, we don't need to worry about how we're going to fund that. I give him credit for talking at least about a plan moving towards funding. And if there's one thing the last year taught everyone, Republicans and Democrats agree, it's that the wealth gap continued to become exacerbated as a result of, of the uh, what happened in the uh, economy. Uh, let's talk about Cuomo. How's that for a pivot? That's Here's a pivot. the sound on Cuomo. <laughs> this story is, I mean, New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo under fire 
and investigation for allegedly allegedly sexually harassing six women and groping one of them, despite growing bipartisan calls for him to resign, growing louder in response to the latest accusation of inappropriate uh, behavior. Governor Cuomo today not only refused to step down, but he blasted those colleagues. Here's the sound on this from Governor Cuomo. Politicians who don't know a single fact, but yet form a conclusion and an opinion are, in my opinion, reckless and dangerous. I won't speculate about people's possible motives, but I can tell you as a former attorney general who's gone through this situation many times, there are often many motivations for making an allegation. The list of members in Congress calling for Governor Cuomo to resign expanded today. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is calling on Governor Cuomo to resign. Carolyn Maloney calling on Governor Cuomo to resign. Jerry Nadler, Yvette Clark, Adriana Espaliat. They're all calling, Jeannie, for Governor Cuomo to resign. They are, and you have uh, Andrea Stork Cousins, the head of the Democratic head of the New York State uh, New York State Senate, calling him for to, him to resign even earlier. And I thought I'm so glad you played that uh, that clip. His um, press conference today was absolutely astonishing. For him to question people's motives for making allegations, this is somebody who let's not forget to bring up a very difficult topic. Brett Kavanaugh's uh, during that Brett Kavanaugh here. This is somebody who said, you always must believe the accusers. And so for him to come out now and say this, when you have an increasing number of women with incredibly serious allegations, including sexual assault, to get out there today and to talk about questioning people's motives for coming forward was to me absolutely astonishing. And I do think, at, I, I do think that we're going to see more people on the Democratic side call for him to resign. And I think that's the right move. I mean, and then there's this this other story, Rick Davis, about the nursing homes. Yeah, I mean, cooking the numbers on nursing home reports at the height of the uh, death rate in New York State uh, from COVID. Uh, you know, I mean, he was getting so much credit for being open. His daily briefings were watched by millions of people. Uh, he was a stabilizing force. But who force. was giving him credit? But but you know but what I now mean? you really wonder whether that was all just a smokescreen. And right? I was Rick. I was just going to say he was giving himself a lot of credit for that with the book. Absolutely. And, all. <laughs> and, and so so so. Where look, I, I mean, come from, my grandmother would always say, "Don't tell me what you did. Tell me what you didn't do." <laughs> we got to leave it there. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at Cedar Point and I'm Kevin Cerilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, accompanied by the All-Star Policy Team, the Bloomberg Politics Contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. And uh, our next guest, it's her first time on the program since being out of office. 
Uh, and here's a story about Morgan Ortegas. Morgan, you ready for this? The former spokesperson for uh, now former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. So I'm on this trip um, with uh, Secretary Pompeo. You know, it was like five countries in five days, par for the course for Morgan. And we're on the plane. What was the plane called, Morgan, that the Secretary of State travels on? Is Morgan there? We don't have Morgan yet. Uh, anyway, maybe we maybe we get Morgan back on the line. Uh, but, uh, well, I want to wait till she's here, but she we're calling her back. So we're on this plane, and we're flying around, and uh, Secretary Pompeo did a uh, briefing on the plane, uh, Rick and Jeannie, which is a gaggle, as it's called, a gaggle. And... Uh, He's taking questions, and you know I go in for the first question, and Morgan goes, "Hold on, I didn't call on you, Kev. Uh, what is this? The White House Brady briefing room, <laughs> where people can just can just shout uh, one at a time?" And so I guess we I guess her call dropped, so we don't have her. But either way, when we get her on the line, we will continue. But I mean, those gaggles, Rick, can be quite interesting. Oh yeah, and uh, the, it, you get the action live from that moment. What's happening and. And many times uh, reporters like you can ask those searing questions and there's nowhere for the secretary to go. And so I think that uh, I think that uh, you have wonderful opportunities to catch them by surprise. And I like I like the fact she keeps Kevin in line. It's not his turn yet. (laughs) Not not many people can. (laughs) I give her Uh, credit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Morgan, are you there? I am. Sorry about that. Did you miss that whole intro? I was telling you about the time on the plane when I. I tried to ask Pompeo a question, and you said, what is this, the Brady briefing room? We call on people here. <laughs> uh, you know what? I ran a tight ship over there. It's yeah. one of the reasons why you didn't see a lot of shenanigans coming out of the State Department, at least wow. not during my time. <laughs> uh, okay, so a year ago, March 11th, March 11th, is it, I, I want to do this segment on March 11th before we talk to you about politics, because the world changed. Just from your perspective as a spokesperson uh, in government for the State Department, when the world changed because of the coronavirus, walk us through how you remember that uh, time uh, in March for your job. Well, you know, interestingly, it, it happened. Uh, it happened really before March. I mean, I will never forget. We were in. I was in over fifty countries with Mike Pompeo for two years, so it was you know some of the most fascinating times of my life. But I often forget exactly which country we were in. But I mm-hmm. think we were in one of the stands and. Uh, I remember my deputy and uh, Deputy Secretary Began. Uh, so my deputy, Kale Brown, and our deputy secretary, Began, were dealing with uh, the first plane that was coming back to the United States. And, and I think that this was one of the uh, uh, cruise ships that had been evacuated. And we realized that there was people on the plane uh, with coronavirus. Wow. Uh, and obviously, that was the first time that we realized anything like that would be happening. And I said, you guys, we have to tell the media. We have to make sure people are aware. We have to, you know, we can't surprise anyone. We have to let them know this is happening. Now, there was already cases uh, at this point, but very few in the United States. But I think it was like 2 in the morning, and I'm overseas with Pompeo, and I probably had three hours to sleep as it was. And and the enormity of it, you know, just started uh, just started hitting me, especially as we, as all of our travel, and Kevin, you've been on trips with us, as, as that started grinding um, to a halt. I also happened to be pregnant through the entire I pandemic. I was, I was finding out that I was pregnant around the time when the world was locking down. So it was, uh, I got to say, I, my, my child is either going to change the world or be a dictator. I'm not sure which one. Okay, so. Adina is not <laughs> going to be a dictator with her parents. <laughs> How is she? <laughs> 
she's amazing. She's taking a nap right now. So like uh, like all the parents who are working from home can understand I'm hiding in the room and praying that she continues to can take her nap. So Morgan was doing an interview on this program actually several months ago. And this is the only dog we've ever had on Bloomberg Sound On. Ozzy started bar- barking during the interview. <laughs> Uh, but go ahead, Jeannie. I know you have a question. Uh, Morgan, it's great to talk to you. And before we get to foreign policy, like Kevin, I had a question, um, and I hope I understand this correctly. Um, given that it is Women's History Month, I was just so excited to hear, if I got this right, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg married you and your husband. If that is true, and I understand that is right, I would just love to hear any reminiscence you have about her um, and sort of her impact uh, on this Women's History Month in Women's History Month? Absolutely. Um, That's, I mean, you could never, obviously, ever replace a memory like that. So um, she was a neighbor of ours for a long time. And my husband knew her a little bit better than than I did because he had been on the board of the building and he, you know, would go to all the building social events. And I I never did any of that. Um, And so I said to him one day when we were engaged, wouldn't it be cool if Ruth Bader Ginsburg buried us? And he said, you know, she's never going to say yes. She's RBG, and she probably only does it for people who have clerked for her or this or that. And I said, well, you never know until you ask. So I find our I write, you know, we're your neighbors, would you marry us, basically. A little bit more sophisticated than that. And I put it... And I went downstairs and put it in her box. And I really didn't think anything of it, got busy. You know, I think I was in my MBA at the time. So I got busy and forgot about it. And then the next thing I know, I see um, official Supreme Court stationery in my in my thing. Now, anybody who's worked in government knows that if you write a personal note, and typically if you get something back, an official document, I was like, oh, this is my rejection letter. This is my thank you very much for asking. Have a nice and I literally, when I saw that it wasn't on her personal stationery and that it was on official stationery, I thought, oh, God, she's rejecting us. But to my surprise and delight, I opened it up and she said she would be happy to marry us. And I just I couldn't believe it. So we did our um, our civil ceremony in her chambers at the Supreme Court. And um, what's amazing is my grandmother uh, is her age and. You know, introducing the two of them, probably my favorite picture from my wedding may be the two of them meeting for the That's first awesome. time. And just my grandma looking at her and thinking about everything that the women of their generation had had been through. Um, and so she's a you know, she's just a legend. She inspires all of us. And, and um, I was I am incredibly blessed and lucky for a lifetime to have that moment with her. That's awesome. And coming up next, we're going to ask Morgan about Iran and China and some breaking news headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal now. Uh, Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand have issued a joint statement calling on uh, Governor Cuomo to resign. Again, Chuck Schumer is now calling on Governor Cuomo, along with Kirsten Gillibrand, calling on Governor Cuomo to resign. Schumer, Gillibrand, call on Cuomo to resign. This is Bloomberg. I'm Kevin Cirilli with Morgan Ortegas joining the All-Star Policy Panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Breaking news headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal just within the last several minutes. Senators Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand have called on Governor Andrew Cuomo to resign. According to the statement, quote, it is clear that Governor Cuomo has lost the confidence of his governing partners and the people of New York. Governor Cuomo should resign, end quote. Multiple developing stories that we are following uh, today on the geopolitical front, chief among them, China. As Jake Sullivan addressed reporters in the Brady briefing room earlier 
today ahead of the Biden administration's first high-level talks with China next week in Alaska. The president's building support among key allies, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan answered questions about Biden's virtual meeting today with the leaders of Australia, India, and Japan. Here's the sound on SOT on China from Jake Sullivan. Here it is. The four leaders did discuss the challenge posed by China, and they made clear that none of them have any illusions about China. Morgan, is there, in terms of the geopolitics of the United States and China, there's clearly a difference in the rhetorical approaches between the two administrations. But is there still policy that unites in, in, in the sense of a strategy uh, with Australia, with Japan, uh, in order to counter China? Do you notice similarities? Yeah, I do, actually. I mean, listen, I think that the United States approach to China should be a bipartisan approach. And and that was one of the things that was actually comforting. You know, sometimes we were criticized for tone in the Trump administration. But but listen, we just were not as a country five years ago talking about China uh, the way they were until Donald Trump sort of, uh, you know, ripped ripped everything open and, and exposed them for, for who they really are. And there was a lot of us uh, in, in Bush, and, and I worked in the Bush and Obama administration, so I've worked for both sides. We tried to pivot to Asia in both administrations, um, and it just didn't work. So I think that the foreign policy consensus, the bipartisan consensus in Washington, uh, is to know uh, is to recognize who China is and what they're uh, going to actually do, and, and that's incredibly important now. So, Morgan, um, just sticking with China for a moment, one of the things that that I've been watching so closely and we've talked about on here has been China's um, sort of, uh, you know, public um, decision that it is going to go it alone and it is going to, you know, make sure that it is able to sustain in a world should it not have access to American technology by turning its supply chain inward. How much of a threat do you think this big spending is that they announced just a few days ago um, or a week ago that they're going to do is to United States? And how do you think we can counter that? Gosh, I, I feel like that's such a great question. There's so much to uh, unfold. I can probably talk to you off for a, a lot longer than the show is on, on this topic alone. Um, I, I would say that, you, you, you know, when you look at, at what is the threat that we're facing uh, from the Chinese Communist Party, uh, you know, obviously the spending on defense um, is, is incredibly worrisome. But I think, and you could go through you know, all these initial layers, but I, I think the bigger picture is when you sort of pull back and look at all of it. Uh, it is a pattern of not keeping their word and of breaking their promises. So what do I mean by that? Remember in Hong Kong, for example, the Chinese Communist Party not only promised to the people of Hong Kong, but at the United States, they promised to the world uh, the commitments that Hong Kong would have their freedom and autonomy, and that was broken, oh gosh, I think it's at least 26 years early, um, uh, you know, so several decades earlier than it was supposed to be. Uh, the same thing for the South China Sea, the same thing for IP. That's the same thing for the human hacking. rights I mean, abuses, human, human rights well, abuses, a huge one, huge yeah. one. So every time you look at their, you look at, look at their uh, promises on climate change, you know, it's, it's all a lot of bluster. Uh, these are commitments that they will make to the entire world, but they have no intention of keeping them. And, and this is what they, you know, this is important because Blinken, Secretary Blinken is meeting with them next week. And, you know, we often hear, let's have, uh, from the Chinese, uh, let's work together. Let's have a win-win scenario. Let's, let's have, uh, outcomes that are mutually beneficial. All of that means, 
all of that. And you'll see the readouts. They will use all of those phrases next week with Secretary Blinken. All of that. The only thing that they mean is let's keep status quo. Don't hold us accountable. Don't hold our feet to the fire. Mm. Uh, don't let us continue doing things. So I, I could almost tell you word for word what the Chinese version of the readout will be with Secretary Blinken. And this is not a criticism of Secretary Blinken. They did the same thing to us. It's, it's this uh, posturing that they do uh, in order to sort of, you know, pat everyone on the head. And, oh, yes, of course, we want to work in the international community. Of course, we yeah. want to be a part of these various forums. Um, we have no intention of keeping our promises. And quite frankly, uh, we make too much money and we're too big of a market that you're just going to ignore the fact when we break your promises. That's what they've learned for 30 years of dealing with the international community. Rick, I go back to when now former Secretary Pompeo, I think it was at the Nixon Library on the as we're nearing the 50th anniversary of former President Nixon going uh, to to Beijing on that what was at the time an historic trip, uh, and and uh, Pompeo said in the speech, you know, what have we gotten? You know, this was pitched to us as en- engagement with China was pitched to America as that they would you know adopt some Western principles and, and democratic lowercase d principles. What have we gotten? And I thought that was a really uh, impactful, probably one of the most impactful sp- of the China speeches that Pompeo gave, Rick. Yeah, Kevin, I think you, you summed it up so well. Is that uh, we have years of of a detente and 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 integration, and you know, Bill Clinton even called it a strategic mm. partner. But what have we gotten out of that? And I'm curious, uh, Morgan. First of all, great to talk to you again. It's been a long time. And thank and, you, sir. And and so I you know, don't call me sir, please. <laughs> uh, I feel so old. Um, but um, all the, so so this is all obvious, right? We've just been talking about how the whole world should see the obvious nature of the Chinese doctrinaire. Uh, but the Trump administration, and seemingly following up with the Biden administration, uh, really tried to stop the influence of the Chinese state organizations like Huawei from integrating their 5G throughout Europe and the Indo-Pacific. And yet I look today and, and, and I don't know, you were in the inside of that campaign to try and convince our allies not to take Chinese technology. Where are we failing? Because the, most of the people on the call today for the Quad meeting, Japan, India, Australia, I mean, they, they've got Huawei in their country. Well, uh, you know, so we actually did make quite a bit of progress there, um, and it took a long time. I mean, this was about a year and a half campaign, and I hope that it's something that that uh, Blinken and the and the Biden administration will be able to take forward. We were actually able to convince major European allies uh, not not to have Huawei in their systems, and it's important. So the countries that we targeted first, uh, like the United Kingdom, for example, uh, and the were the countries that are involved with us in what we call Five Eyes, which is um, as you know very well but the audience may not know which are the countries that we share um, our most sensitive intelligence with. And, and we went to these countries, and I sat in, I would say for the two years that I traveled the world with Mike Pompeo, I can't think, and I was in almost every single meeting with him, I can't think of a time whenever he didn't bring this up where he didn't talk about the threat. And I can tell you from the very beginning of that campaign, we got a lot of, you know, head nods. People were interested, but they probably had, you know, no real intention of actually getting Huawei out of their systems. And by the end of the two years, and this stuff takes time, we did start to see, 
I got to look at the numbers, but I think we had over um, 20 countries and and, does, and a dozen telecoms, at least I'll, I'll have to pull Kevin and make sure I have that right number for your audience. But we had something called the Clean Campaign, uh, which was to get countries and to get telecoms to agree not to have Huawei in their system. And we probably, maybe it's my fault that I didn't do enough to uh, actually trumpet uh, how much success that we had there. Keith Crock was on he, the show every other week. Go ahead, Morgan. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but since, I know. I was, like, I was thinking. I've got a fact check with Keith and see how many countries that we had ended up. But remember that we went to these countries and we said, "Listen, your your engineers, your intelligence professionals are sophisticated. You can come to the same conclusion we did. This is not about the United States having a five G competitor with China. In fact, we don't. Right? There yeah. was no U S. competitor. Yes this or no? Should the Beijing people. should the Beijing should Beijing keep the games? No, no way. Yeah. It's a genocide. Let's, it's either let's, a genocide or it's not. Yeah, well, you know, and we've been having lawmakers on. I've been asking them that question, too. I mean, it's it's really fat. I think the games are going to be a, a really big focal point uh, over the next uh, couple of months. Morgan, I know I got to let you go. Thanks for hanging out with me. Appreciate the time. Morgan Ortega. Morgan, are you going to write a book, a policy book? You're going to run for office? What's next for Morgan Ortega's? Uh, I will never run for office, but um, but yes, I would love to write a book. I need to just, you know, Kevin, come over this weekend and help me write the book. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, as long as, okay, you know, talk to you later. <laughs> it is Women's History Month this month, and here at Bloomberg, we are acknowledging uh, females who have made contribution to uh, society. And here with today's installment is Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in women's history in 1912, Juliet Gordon Lowe leads the first Girl Scouts meeting when a group of 18 girls gathered in the Savannah, Georgia area. Gordon Lowe developed the idea after she met Robert Baden Powell. He wrote Scouting for Boys, the inspiration for the Boy Scouts organization. Gordon Lowe's organization had a ripple effect across the country. During a time in U.S. history when women were still not seen as equal to men, she created a space for girls to be active and curious when others would not allow it. Girl Scouts would earn badges, go on trips, explore science, do community service projects, and of course, sell cookies almost 100 years later. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. And just to, uh, again, hit this headline, uh, Senators Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand have called on Governor Cuomo to resign. Again, Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand tell Governor Cuomo to resign. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 